It's caused dissension, started wars, and divided peoples. Since the start of humanity, we have never known a world without it. Mankind has always felt the need to try and get right with God and turn to religion for the answers. But what if being right with God wasn't about practices and rituals? Join us for this exciting new series as we explore these questions. about what we just finished. Serve week last week was incredible. And I want to say thank you to all of you that were involved. I want to say thank you especially to Chris Ellison, our Director of Global Outreach, and to all of his leaders who led all the various different parts of this. I I want to tell you how blessed I am personally. You know, it can be my heart to go out and make Jesus famous in Colombia, but without people to say that's their heart, we don't do any good. And more importantly, when you, when you start a church and you see things happen in the beginning, the way that it works out is the pastor shows up with everything in the van, hoping at least two other people will follow him. And yesterday, for the first time ever, not only did I not lead a single thing, Chris did not lead a single thing, but everybody in the church led all these various things. And the reason that's awesome is because one of the most important things to us is the whole purpose of the church, which is to see you become what God has called you to do, not to come and watch a few paid people do it for you. So that's a huge victory. And then second of all, I was able to literally show up yesterday driving around. My wife was somewhere, so I was on on daddy duty and uh, driving around in my minivan with my four kids, just showing up, shaking hands and thanking you guys for what you were doing. Nothing depended on me. And that is when we as a family are making Jesus famous. That's cool. So. Thank you guys for that. Uh, So except for what we did on Saturday, everything else we can follow up with. If you would still like to be a part of the backpack program, maybe you were absent last Sunday. You didn't know about the opportunity to bring in food. Maybe you weren't here to get a baby bottle. You can take all of those things this week. You can continue to do the shopping, drop off the food or the baby bottles this week or as well next Sunday. We've got a little bit of time to get that stuff to those folks. So serve week can uh, linger a little uh, to still give us opportunities to do things. Good? All right, well, we're kicking off a a special week this week, and I'm excited. Uh, It's our week of prayer and fasting, and and I I just can't wait to see what God's going to do. But wait till next week. If you think I'm excited now, it's going to be good at the end. So we're finishing up a series today. A series we've been doing on religion today is part four, and we've had a very clearly laid out goal for every single part of this. And we'll put it on the screen for you once again to help you out with this. Our goal all along has been to seek out and destroy any religious behavior or belief that is causing death. And you may have thought four weeks ago there was no such thing. You might have thought anything religious was automatically good in church, right? Or you may have just thought there's no such thing as bad religious practice. How could anything be causing death? Well, hopefully by now you've got a few answers to that question you didn't have before. But the reason for that is the second half, so that we can discover and embrace the grace of God that produces life. That's what we've been after. Hopefully, uh, you've been seeing that happen in your life. So we began the whole series by unmasking religion, by, by calling it out for what it is, helping you realize that everything in the name of religion isn't always good. And, and so we talked about that. If that's a new thought for you and you missed it, go back and catch that. The second thing that we looked at is how good behavior is not the goal. Good behavior, looking good, dressing right, doing all the right things, that's not the goal. Transformation in our heart is the goal. Last week, we did part three. We talked about how our religion and our traditions and practices will cause us to see people differently. And when we see people differently, we treat 
people differently, and that's not always a good thing either. Today we're going to finish up the series with a question I think is incredibly important, and that is what do we do with all these religious practices and rituals that we have? Matter of fact, in the the video that we watch every week right before this, one of the questions in there is, what if it isn't about practices and rituals? What practices and rituals can we get rid of, and which ones should we maybe keep? So uh, just a real quick story for you. I went, uh, as we kick off our week of prayer and fasting, a, a couple of years ago, our week of prayer and fasting coincided with a monthly prayer meeting I have with other pastors in the church that always, uh, in the city, that always take place during lunch. And, and I would think if there's any place that you can go to a lunch and tell them why you're not eating and be safe, it would be a pastor's prayer meeting, right? I mean, during the week of prayer and fasting, you, you always at work try to kind of avoid the thing when somebody's like, hey, you want to go to lunch with us? And you don't really want to tell them why you're not eating. You want to do it. No, I, I got something to catch up on. I, I might catch up with you there. And you don't really want to tell. I thought that I could boldly tell everyone else in the room, well, I'm fasting, and it would be okay. And so as everybody else is fixing their plates, and, and somebody said, are you not eating today, Jimmy? I'm like, no, I'm actually, I'm, I'm fasting. Well, this is our week of prayer and fasting at our church. And the first person who said something, it came across as though they were mocking me. But I thought, now they're a pastor, come on, surely they're uh, just joking and then someone else, and then someone else. And by the time I left the meeting, I was, it was real clear. They were not joking. They were all truly mocking me for the fact that I, as an evangelical, grace-filled pastor, would actually fast. Some of you probably have the same question. Why do we do that? Why do we do some of these other things? Matter of fact, since Jesus did everything for us, why do we need some of these rituals and some of these practices in our lives? Do we need any of them? Do any of them have any place for today? How many of you have ever seen one of those medieval movies or TV shows where like a monk goes into the chapel to pray and you will see the monk is down on his knees and he's got like this big thing with cords of whips and he's, he's beating himself as he prays because he's been bad. And somehow there is this idea that if, if he can punish himself that he can take away what he's done for, for being bad. That's not the goal. So let's talk about some of these traditions and the place they have in our lives. Uh, Let me just look at it this way. Christmas. What does it feel like to be Christmas for you? We've all got things. You've got to have certain smells, right? When we do Christmas Eve services, we go down to the store and we buy Christmas smelling things to plug into the walls. And and you have to have trees or this or that. And and, and it has to be cold, right? Is anybody in here at Christmas? Is it Christmas if it's not cold outside? And, And then you've got a certain meal you have to eat on Christmas Day. You know, if your mother always had a turkey and whatever, and then your, your spouse is like, can we order pizza? You're like, sacrilege, how could you dare? <laughs> what makes it feel like Christmas are those things that we do. And so the same thing with some of the religious practices and beliefs that we have, they make us feel like it's church. I've actually had somebody come to me and tell me, this has happened more than once. Somebody will meet me on the way out and they'll say, oh, pastor, I loved being here today, this was awesome. Worship band, man, they're, they're really good, and I appreciate your message. Great church. Just want to let you know, though, I won't be back. What? Well, it just doesn't feel like church. I, I just need something that feels like church. And see, where they grew up, whatever their tradition is, they might have had stained glass, or they might have had wooden pews, or they might have had an organ. And look, let me be clear. There's not a right or a wrong. There's not a better, and there's not a worse. It doesn't matter. 
But the point is that is where they experienced God in the past, and so that's what worship feels like. Sometimes we keep these religious practices only because of the way they make us feel. And then there are others of you that keep these religious practices because of the way they make you feel, and it's a completely different thing, probably not good. You see, we all know that we're not perfect people, right? We've got this thing we don't like to admit in our lives called sin. And so, unfortunately, even though we know about grace and we know about Jesus, and you've already heard the first three parts of this series, we still kind of do this little math in our head. We start at zero, and then we say, well, you know, I yelled at my kid, negative two. Well, I looked at the website I shouldn't have looked at, negative seven. Well, then again, you know, the waitress gave me an extra dollar and change. I didn't give it back to her, negative nine. But if I go to church, up five. And if I go to serve day, up 10, because that's a Saturday. I'm back in positive numbers, baby. Look, we all know, every one of us knows that doesn't work, but we do it. We secretly do the math in our head, and so we show up for things that are religious. We, we participate in different uh, things, all because we're kind of doing the math, trying to make us feel like we're better than we are. So we're going to answer one incredibly simple question today. Are all of these religious practices and rituals ready to be tossed out? Are there any that we need to keep? And what purpose do any of them have in our lives? So before we can answer that question, I think we need to start with one of the most foundational verses in all of the Bible as to why we throw so many of them out. I mean, why do we throw out things saying we don't need that anymore? And it comes out of Galatians 2. It's going to be on the screen right here that says this. Yet we know... That a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Do you think he was trying to make his point? He said the same thing three times. He's trying to make it overwhelmingly clear. And if you don't know what that word justified is, I'm going to explain it to you. Imagine you're in a courtroom and the judge takes a gavel. The judge hits the table and says, you are right with God. That's what justified means. The gavel has hit and says, you are right with God. And what he is trying to say is that there is not one thing you can ever do. You can't show up at serve day. You can't go to church 52 times a year. You can't give a bunch of money. You can't do anything that will cause the gavel to hit and God to say, you are right with me. The only thing that you can do, nothing, the only thing that can be done is Jesus Christ dying on the cross and being raised again. And so when it says faith in Jesus, it doesn't mean that you just believe Jesus was a dude who walked the earth 2,000 years ago. No, 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 that's not enough. But faith in Jesus, he died and he died for you. And when he rose again, And because we know that, we say, wait a minute, wait a minute, pastor, you're telling me, if I don't go to church every Sunday, I'm still going to heaven? Huh. You hear that, honey? Let's go on vacation. Matter of fact, let's sleep in. It was a long night Saturday night. Wait a minute, you're telling me if I don't tithe, I'm still going to heaven? Oh, praise God. (laughs) I've never heard any better news all day, right? Wait a minute, you're telling me that there is nothing that I can do to get into heaven, and there is nothing that I have to do to get into heaven. Jesus did it all. Yes. Yes. Here's the problem. As true as that is, and if you've missed everything else for the religion series, please understand that one thing. 
It is the death and resurrection of Jesus that allows that gavel to hit and declare you right with God. Nothing you do will ever do that for you. But because of that, we throw the baby out with the bathwater. Although we think there is nothing we can do to get us into heaven, which is true, we think that there's nothing we can do that has any place in our lives or has any meaning or has any purpose. You see, here's what I want you to think about. These practices and rituals that we're talking about, some of them become very mundane and they become very dead. And we don't even understand why we would do them. And, and they're just old traditions. And so we say, we don't need those anymore. But you need to back up historically and understand that whenever any practice or ritual began, it had a reason. It actually had meaning in the beginning. And we've just lost that meaning. And so we throw it out. But we need to get back to that. Here's what I want you to hear. Practices done regularly become rituals, and rituals done without meaning become religion. We'll say that again. Practices done regularly become rituals, and rituals without meaning become religion. But they all began with deep meaning, and I want to talk to us today. What I want us to do is examine some of the ones that we have lost, some of the ones that we don't understand or value anymore. And I want us just to ask the question, do they have a place in our lives? Do we need them? And before I begin, I'm going to go ahead and give you a disclaimer. Every one of the things I'm going to talk about could be an entire message. My message today could be an entire series. I am not going to do justice to explaining what each one is. And that is not the goal. I need you to understand from the beginning. That is not the goal. The goal today is for me to answer only one question, and that is what place does each one of these have in our lives today? So will you forgive me up front for not totally explaining every one of the things we're about to do, right? Okay, good. Well, let's jump in. Here's the first one. I think the first one that we should talk about is one of the first things to fall off, one of the things that is least important to us, and we know it is going to church, the worship experience, a time where we come together and worship him. Let me go ahead and say you guys deserve a pat on the back. Grace life as a church does not fit the statistical norm. You see, the statistical norm in the United States is for someone who says they're a Christian, they will go to church one time per month. That's the norm. You guys actually go to church a lot. Like, you're here most every single Sunday. And matter of fact, some of you are here more than me because I have to go on vacation, I have to go on some missions trips, and I have to preach at other churches. And some of you literally trump me and, and make it more than I do in a year's time. And so you would say, well, then why are you talking about it, Jimmy? Well, because just because you do it well doesn't mean you know why. Even though some of you are here very, very regularly, you might be here because you think you ought to. And not so much because of what it means to you. So let's be clear once again. Church attendance does not get you into heaven. But coming together to worship him, to exalt him, to learn about him and to learn how to live our lives can have great meaning for both him and us. For you and me, it means that we can experience his presence. For you and me, it means that we can receive healing. I don't know if y'all have ever noticed, we end every service with telling you that there are teams down front to pray for you. There are people always waiting to help you with those kinds of things. We get to learn about him in ways that we wouldn't in any other way. But I meet people who still tell me, well, you know, I can get some good worship albums at home and I can listen to sermons online and, you know, it'll be okay if I don't come. I would beg to differ with you, but I'm not going to take time to argue that point this morning. I'm just going to move on to this. Okay, who cares about you then? How about him? Maybe this isn't for you. What about him? I don't know if you've ever just looked through the Bible and noticed 
But he kind of likes when multitudes come together to make a big deal out of him. They do. He does. And, and here's the other thing you need to know. He loves when crowds show up because when crowd shows up, he tends to do things that he doesn't do for individuals. So yeah, you can worship him at home alone in your closet, but chances are you may not experience what he would do in a really big crowd. And so this is for free. We like to be in a small church where everybody knows our name, but everywhere in scripture you go and look, God likes big crowds. God likes for lots of his children to come together and make a big deal about him. So this is why, if we backed up to the first disciples, they made it a very big deal to go to church. They made it a very big deal to come together, to exalt him and to learn about him and to worship him. And they made it an incredibly consistent practice. And I want you to think about this. These were the people who had watched him hang on the cross. Many of them were the people who had him show up after he resurrected and spent 40 days alone with them teaching about the kingdom. If there's anybody who knew you didn't have to go to the temple, they knew it. If there's anybody who knew about the death and resurrection of Jesus, they knew it. And yet I want to show you what scripture says about them. And they devoted themselves. You know what that says? It doesn't say this. And when it was convenient, when the weather was nice, when it wasn't raining, when it wasn't too hot, when it was Do you realize in America there is no good day for church? If it's hot, you don't get outside. If it's raining, you don't go outside. If it's cold, you don't go outside. If it's sunny, you go outside and play and don't come here. I mean, there is no good, I, there's no weather I can pray for. Because no matter what the weather is, somebody's going to use it as an excuse. Well, you know, honey, we could do it. We got the jet skis. Oh, well, it's raining. We can't use the jet skis. Let's stay home. It's, you know, we don't want to get the, the kids wet on the wet. They might catch colder. I don't know what it is. We just always have a reason. But they didn't go for any whatever's convenient, whatever's comfortable. They devoted themselves to what? The apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, the prayers. And day by day, gets that phrase? Day by day, meaning consistently and regularly, they attended the temple together and broke bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. It became an extreme value for them. Worshiping was meaningful. It was meaningful. It wasn't just about a religious practice. It was meaningful. So I, I want to close this little part of this with just giving you a little self-test you can do. When you come here on Sunday mornings, if you're just coming to add a few points do you feel a little bit better about yourself for what you did last night, you've missed it. Ask yourself these three questions. Number one, what did you learn about God? When you leave this room, you need to be able to answer the question, what do you understand about God that you didn't before? And if regularly you can't answer that question, then either I need to get fired or you need to start asking better questions. Number two, what did you learn about how to live? And number three, did you experience his presence? If you've been around Grace Life, you've heard this before. There is nothing more important to us than the presence of God. And our prayer, our hope, is that when guests come and they leave, that even if they can't explain it, they just say, something felt different. Something felt different. It's not about having the most talented musicians. It's not about having the most creative speaker, because Lord knows I'm not. It's not about having anything where the humans are the best thing that you've got going on on Sunday morning. 
The best thing that we want you to ever experience about this place is that you have encountered the presence of God. And if week after week you don't feel like that's happening, then once again, we need to reevaluate something. But if you can walk away with good answers to those three questions, then you weren't here because you ought to, and you weren't here checking a box. It was meaningful. The second one, communion. You may ask, what is this? Well, I want to answer it this way. This one was the game changer. This was the game changer. You see, this is when Jesus said, I am going to be the ultimate and the final sacrifice for you. Here's what he told his disciples. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. We do this weekly here at Grace Life. And I get asked a question quite often. For people who are new to Grace Life, maybe they've been in a particular church denomination or something where their tradition is different. Most churches and most Christian traditions no longer do this very frequently. It's become something that falls on different times. And I've asked pastors, when does your church do it? And some are like, oh, you know, whenever there's a fifth Sunday of the month. Oh, you know, on, you know, like the third Sunday in October. They just randomly pick a few sporadic events. And, you know, one reason, by the way, because it's expensive. It is. And we still do it every week. And people challenge me on, why do we do this every week? Don't you think if you do it every week, it'll lose its meaning? Well, let me ask you a question. If your spouse tells you they love you every week, don't you think it'll lose its meaning? Come on, ladies. I love you once a week is too much, ladies. Come on, raise your hand. No, no hands. Y'all get that, husbands? How about kids? My little girl, my five-year-old girl, chased me into the garage this morning when she should have still been asleep because I leave rather early on Sundays. Because she wanted to say, I love you. Because we do this all the time. I, I can't tell you, like what, 15, 20 times a day, just watching TV, driving down the streets. I love you, Daddy. I love you, Mommy. That's because we're always, I love you, sweetie. I love you. We are always, we say it so much. Don't tell me you can do it too often. And, and, and here's the thing about communion. Let me, let me help you understand something. We've lost our perspective in 2016. So let me, let me take us back a couple thousand years. Thousands of years ago, before Jesus... When you went to worship, there was one thing you would do more than anything else. There was one thing that was the centerpiece of this idea of worship. Thousands of years ago, if you told your spouse, honey, I'm going down to the temple to worship, your wife would have known you were going to do one thing more than anything else. You know what that was? Make a sacrifice. You were going to take an animal and you were going to give it to the priest. And they were going to kill that animal on your behalf because you know that you're a sinner. And you know, since the last time you were at the temple, you did something that didn't honor God. And every time you go to the temple, you have got to get yourself back right with God. And that came through a sacrifice. And just like Jesus said, you would walk in there with the body of an animal and they would kill it. And its blood would be poured out and it would make up for your sin every single time. If there is anything that you would do in worship, you may not sing a song, you may not give anything, but you would bring a sacrifice. So let me ask you this question. If thousands of years ago, the most important thing, the cornerstone, the one thing you could not miss was making that sacrifice, then don't you think today the one thing we cannot miss, the cornerstone of our worship, is remembering the sacrifice?
I mean, more than you putting checks in a bucket, more than you singing songs, should be you saying, thank you, Jesus, that I never have to come to church with an animal again. Thank you, Jesus, that I don't have to worry about everything I've done wrong since the last time I was here because your sacrifice was once and for all. And we only get to do that once every seven days? Yeah, I don't think that's too often. Not me. We believe it's meaningful. And here's why. This is what the Bible says. The cup of the blessing that we bless, it, is it not participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? You see, once a week we come together and we take communion, not to make it into a ritual, but to remind ourselves we have a new life in a new family with a new king, and that sacrifice is done. I think that's important. Third thing that we may have lost sight of is baptism. What is baptism? Well, some of you would say, oh, that's just when you get dunked in a tank. Some of our tradition tells us that this is the ticket to heaven. And, and we're not going to beat up on any particular churches, but there are denominations or, or particular traditions some of you come from that being right with the church through baptism in that church is what gets you to heaven. But then others, if you come up with a completely different tradition because you grew up in another denomination and your denomination is we're saved by grace and baptism's nice, but it's not that important. Well, those are definitely extremes. Where does baptism fit in? I'm going to make sure we're clear on this. Just like church attendance and giving and anything else, baptism doesn't save you. But it does reveal you. You see, the whole point to baptism is when you go down in the water as one person and you come back up as another. It's a symbol of Jesus going down into the tomb and coming back up. There's a version of you that says, I lived my life for me as my king, and that goes into the water, and out of the water comes a person who lives a life for him, with him as the king, for his purposes. That's what baptism is all about. And it's public. It's a declaration to all the world. This isn't something you're doing secretly. It's not something you decided to do in your closet at home. It's what you want everybody to know about you. And that makes it a meaningful practice, not dead religion. And if any of you, for any reason, have been missing out on it, you've been skipping it, maybe because it would cause you to have a bad hair day in public. Believe it or not, that's one of the main reasons we hear people not want to be baptized. We're getting ready to do a baptism very, very soon. Go online, and you can sign up for our next baptism. Fourth one that we tend to get rid of, thinking that it's not that important these days, is honoring the Sabbath. The Ten Commandments tell us this. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. But then Jesus showed up and said, hey, wait a minute. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so that gives us permission to just like kick this thing to the curb where we don't have to officially set aside a 24-hour period anymore. Pretty sure it's not exactly what Jesus had in mind. I told you recently in another message how when I was in Israel, they do the Sabbath and they do it really, really well. For 24 hours, almost nobody moves in the entire nation. For them, it starts at sundown on Friday night, goes to sundown on Saturday night. For us, we've lost it. I grew up here in the Bible Belt where it used to be Sunday, and it was all day Sunday. Matter of fact, when I was a kid, we'd go to my grandmother every other week on Sunday. You would need gas in your car, and so I remember when I was very young, the question was always asked, 
is the car gassed up on Saturday because you may not be able to get gas on Sunday. And then over time, there were a few more gas stations that would open up and a few more corner convenience stores that would open up. And now, by this point in my life, the only thing you can't do on Sunday is eat Chick-fil-A. <laughs> we don't have a Sabbath anymore. And it's not that you need a Sabbath to get into heaven. Again, that's not the point. But the Sabbath was meaningful when God instituted it. And here's why. Our bodies and our souls are not meant to go 24-7. And yet, that's what we do with them. We run them 24-7. And when we run our bodies and our souls 24-7, the second thing comes into play, and that is there's no space for worship. And God says, I want you to take a day. And I want you to set it aside for your interaction with me. To give rest to your bodies and souls and to rejuvenate your bodies and souls because when you worship me, it comes back to you. And that's the way this thing works. Our bodies and our souls need it and he needs our worship. And if we will honor the Sabbath like he said, more of us might be making it a little bit longer on earth. But we run ourselves into the ground. So do you have to do the Sabbath to get to heaven? No. Is it meaningful? Yes. And that leads us to the last one that I want to talk about today. And the reason I saved it for last is because it's the one that we're kicking off this week. And every time we do this, people are always asking about it. And it is fasting. It's the one I want to concentrate on. Fasting is one of the first practices that evangelicals will get rid of. As I told you earlier, how all of my evangelical pastor friends even mocked me for doing it. That's how much Christians think fasting Matter of fact, if you were to tell your friends you are fasting, they think one of three things. You're Catholic, you're Muslim, you're weird. <laughs> Those are the choices. Those are the only people that voluntarily give up things for the sake of God, right? Catholics, Muslims, and weirdos. Nobody else would normally voluntarily want to do this. But if you look in the Bible, you discover that Jesus taught his disciples how to fast, which implied we would. So I asked you earlier if you've ever seen one of those movie scenes where people do these religious practices, like one of them was whipping themselves, you know, when they got down to pray, the priest or the, the monk or maybe a king who was trying to make up for his sins in battle, he'd get down on his knees and he'd whip himself. And so one of the things that we've gotten rid of is the idea that punishment and suffering can make us holy. And all I can say to that is, amen. I don't know about you, but I am really glad that the whipping yourself thing has gone away the problem, though, is we've decided that fasting is some idea of punishment and suffering, and so we've gotten rid of it. Can I just say this? Fasting is not primarily about suffering. It's not. Suffering is primarily about two things. Number one, a move of God. It is where you reach a point that you are so desperate, you say, God, I have got to have more of you. What fasting does is it gives power to prayer. If you go look anywhere in Scripture that someone needed God to do something, and they would say, let's pray, but let's call a fast and pray. Normal praying might not get it done. We really need to give power to our prayers. It's basically like saying this to God. I need you more than I need food, and I know that I need food because I will die without it eventually. That's how much I need you. I need a supernatural thing more than I need a natural thing. God, show up in my life. That is what that is all about. Second part of it is realignment. It's realignment with him. 
You see, until we set aside some time to pray and fast, we just get really busy with our world. But it's also a realignment in ourselves. You see, we're body, soul, and spirit. And I don't know about you, but my body tends to be in control most of the time. When it wants to sleep, it sleeps. I mean, how many of you have ever been woken up at 2 in the morning and you have this thought, I could get up and pray. And what do you do? Roll over. Go back to sleep. Your body says, I'm hungry. And if you don't see the word buffet, you keep driving because you're hungrier. Or our souls. Our souls say, I need to do Facebook for 30 minutes because I'm addicted to what's going on in my friend's life. 30 minutes of Facebook every 20 minutes in your life. Y'all caught that one? Okay. Or maybe it's video games. Or maybe it's your hobbies or your activities, whatever it is. And so what we do with fasting is say, God, I need you. And I need this to get back in order. I need to remind my body it is not the king. I need to remind my soul it is not the king. That is what we're here to do. So fasting is not about suffering. But I will point out, if when you fast, you find yourself suffering, that's only revealing to you how out of alignment you were. That's all that is. And matter of fact, if you didn't know this, most of the time when you fast food and you suffer, you're actually detoxing. You're not even dealing with hunger. You're detoxing, which tells you how much you're putting deathly stuff into your body in the first place. But that's another message for another day. Go Burger King. Woo. All right. <laughs> Don't go Burger King. Here, this is for free for you. Actually, it's really important, so it's, it's not. If you are trying to figure out the easiest way out of a fast, especially since we're about to kick off seven days, and if you've already been thinking to yourself, what can I do? If you're trying to figure out how can I just survive the fast and get to the end, you're thinking thoughts like, okay, I'm going to fast coffee since I don't drink coffee. I'm going to fast Facebook even though I forgot my password six months ago and I never look at it. But if anybody asks, that's what I'm doing. Then you have turned it into a dead religious practice and you might as well not bother. And here's what you really need to be asking this week. Not how can you survive a fast, not what is the easiest way to get through the week, but how can you profit from this fast? Yeah, I said that. Because that is the point. How can you profit from the fast? There has got to be something in your life where you are going, oh, God, I need you. And if there's not, you're preaching next week because the rest of us want to know how you do it. I don't know about you, but I've got many things. I had to figure out which one I was going to put on the top of the list. And if you don't have anything in here or there that is out of alignment, once again, you're preaching next week. Tell us how you did it. That's what this week is about. And we do it twice every year because we want to bring our church family together at the two times we do it naturally, the beginning of the year and the beginning of the school year after summer and travels and vacations and schedules all thrown out of joint and everything else. And we're like, okay, I've got to start life again. I've got to get back to something. I've got to fix all these alignment issues in my life. And that's why we call this week of prayer and fasting. I taught this to my staff this week. And, and when I told some of them, that because I knew I was going to do it with you, I wanted to kind of practice on them. And when I said, you know, fasting is not about suffering. I got some of those puppy dog looks. Anybody's got a puppy dog and you say something to them and they go, huh? You know, okay, that's, that's what happened. And so before I told them what I was talking to them about, I gave each of them a sticky note. And I said, I want you to answer two questions. Number one, what do you need God to do? And number two, how do you need to get realigned in your life? 
And then we went around and talked about what they were fasting for and how they were going to fast. And then I asked this question. So how many of you, what you wrote down doesn't line up with what you just said? So for instance, if what you know is out of alignment is a deep addiction to electronic things that satisfy your soul, like you, you spend all your life on Facebook or social media or video games or anything like that, and you can't get away with anything. Matter of fact, if I said to you, how many of you would like to give up this thing this coming week? Y'all look at me and start crying. And you think, no, I'll give you food for a month if you'll let me keep my phone. If that's your issue and you're fasting french fries, you've missed the point. If on the other hand, you're like most everybody in the room and you've gained 10 pounds since every last holiday, every holiday you've been alive, that's why the Bible usually fast food. Because there is nothing that will repeatedly remind you of what you're doing and that you need to seek God. Your stomach and your body, three or even four or five times a day while you're detoxing, will remind you you're supposed to be praying and talking to God. And if the number one thing you're praying for is that God would give you a raise, but the number one problem in your life is you wake up with migraines every day, you've got this thing out of order. So ask yourself one question. How do you need to profit from this fast? So as we finish up the entire series, what do you do with everything I've said for the last four weeks? Put it on the screen for you. Eliminate meaningless religion but embrace meaningful practice. That's worth putting on your refrigerator. And if you are addicted to social media, you can tweet that one. Eliminate meaningless religion. Embrace meaningful practice. And with that being said, I want to invite you to a very meaningful practice that we're doing this week. It is our week of prayer and fasting. It's the second time we do it this year. And I want you to know a couple of things about it just as, as we're doing this. First of all, let me tell you why comes out of Joel, and it says this. Announce a time of fasting. In other words, God actually charges me and the elders as leaders to bring us together to do this. It says, announce a time of fasting. Call the people together for a solemn meeting. Bring the leaders and all the people of the land, which now would be all of the people in your church family, into the church, into the temple of the Lord your God, and cry out to him there. That's what we're doing. It is my job. It is the leader's job of grace life to say, come on, people, let's get realigned. Let's do this. Let's seek his face like never before. Let's tell him what we need in our lives. And so a couple of things that will help you is, is we've, we've been doing this for a while. These are always in the lobby, but today we're going to make them even easier for you to get. It's prayer guide. I'm sorry. No, it's a pray, what do we got? journal. That's what it is. And it's got all kinds of things about how to pray, different types of prayers, the names of God, all kinds of stuff. It's got a prayer journal where you can go through and fill out all the people in your lives and who you're praying for. And then also is one of these things you see me wear every single Sunday and you think I'm just too cheap for a good bracelet. No, I'm not too cheap. It is cheap, but it says pray first. And we gave these out the last time or the time before, and we give them out every single time. And so what I'd like you to do, the person on the left-hand side of every row, reach down, there's a bucket under your chair, pass these down. If you don't have either of these, please take one of these as this goes along. Now, I want to highlight one other thing. We're going to be here every morning. 6.30 Monday through Friday, we're going to sleep in on Saturday and be here at 9. But everybody pause and hear what I'm about to say. That first part of Joel said this, 
announce a time of fasting, call the people together for a solemn meeting. And there is one time this week that might be more important than all the others. Are y'all with me? I feel this is my school teacher days coming back. Anytime somebody's not looking at me, I don't think they're listening to me. But I told you to do it, my fault. Monday night. It's the only night time we have, but it's going to be different from all the other times. Monday night is going to be a time where we come together. We're going to have extended worship and extended prayer, and all the leaders of the church are going to help us pray together for the things that God has in our lives. It's going to be what Joel talks about, calling all of the people and all of the leaders together, and we're going to cry out to God in this place. 7 o'clock to 8 o'clock, there will not be child care, and here's the reason. We're going to do this family style. You're going to model for your kids what, it, what it's like to come and cry out to God for the things we need in our lives. And we don't care about crying babies. They had them in the book of Acts. We don't care about the kids that are going to run the aisles and jump up on the stage with the worship team. It's going to be chaotic in an awesome way. We don't care. Tomorrow night is going to be fun, and we're going to seek God and tell him what we need him to do in our lives. What is that? Let me tell you the two things that we're doing as a church that we need God to do. If you would pray this week for your church for these two, number one, a new building. If you've been around here, you know that we're in the process of designing that, developing that, raising money for that, getting to that point. We need to build our first permanent home. I don't know if you know this or not, but the next three months are the uh, highest growth times of the year for most churches, and it's always true for Grace Life. We usually grow by at least 100 people, and now that I told you that, I want you to look around the room and tell me where they're going to go. We are reaching the end of our impact in the place we are. We're already at three services. And you can add another service at 2 a.m., but guess what? People ain't coming. So we've got to, we're getting to a point we've got to do something about this. And we need God to do something miraculous in our finances and miraculous in our circumstances. Pray with us. Number two, I want to see our prayer level go up as a church. I don't know if you know this or not, but every time we're in here doing this, someone has given up an hour of their lives and they're sitting in my office praying for you. Because we believe prayer is more important than what we do in this room. And I would like the prayer team to be overwhelmed with the number of people saying, sign me up. At the end of every service, we have people down front wanting to pray for you. I already mentioned that. And I would love to see those people say, well, there are too many. We've got too many people wanting to pray. We need to see the prayer level of the church go up. And that's what I've been praying for years, and it really blessed me. A year ago when we did this, the number of people that came out for the week of prayer and fasting quadrupled. That was awesome. And I want to see that keep happening. I want to see more and more of us saying, you know what, more than Jimmy's messages on Sunday morning, more than Brett and his team and their cool songs, I need to see God. That's what I want the hallmark of this church to be. So you can join us, but you can also pray that God would raise the prayer level of this church. What I want you to do right now, we're going to take a moment. When you came in, there were some things on your seats. One of them is just a prayer guide of the theme for each day this week. Take that with you, please. But the other one is a card that on the back of it says, how can we pray for you? And what we're going to do every single time we come together, we're going to pray for every single card, sometimes multiple times. I want you to write on that card how we can pray for you. What is the number one thing you need to see God do in your life this week? And I'm going to pause for you to do that. There should be pens around. You may need to share. When we finish the service, we'll be having an offering. They'll be passing some buckets. If you will drop those in those buckets at that time. And I'm going to ask you maybe to do one more thing for me if you want. This is optional. As I said, we've got an entire web page with messages and articles about how to fast and why we do this. But 
we'd like to update that for our January week of prayer and fasting. And what we would like to do is answer your questions. If you have any question about fasting at the bottom of your card, write it down. So you can help us answer your questions better. No, I'm not going to answer them by tomorrow. That's not the reason. I'm going to answer them by January. But if you've got any question at all about fasting, write it down on that card and you will help us help you. Today, we're going to close with communion. Some of y'all thought he skipped it. And then y'all thought, he says we do it every week, but we didn't. Well, I wanted to save it for the end today because I wanted us to be able to focus on its meaning. You see, when we do communion, we are remembering that you didn't have to bring a sacrifice with you today. Jesus was. And I want you to know one more thing. In a minute, the ushers are going to pass out a little cup that's got a cracker and a juice. And it's representing Jesus' body and his blood. And the Bible tells us this is what we do as believers. If you're not a believer, I'm going to encourage you to just pass that along. And if you're not a believer and you'd like to not pass it along, I'd rather invite you to recognize right now, Jesus is your ultimate sacrifice. He died on the cross for you so you can live for him. And all you have to say right now to yourself and to God, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I want to live for you. That's it. And when that passes by, you can take one because you can say, Jesus is my king. He is my sacrifice. Ushers, if you'll go ahead. Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information about us, you can go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash gracelifeme and on Twitter at gracelifechurch.com.